sat at a computer at the American College of Greece in Athens, where the U.S. Olympic team had set up prior to the Olympic Games in 2004. I was looking for updates on the track and field times of U.S. athletes in the IAAF Tour. A fellow Minnesota runner, whom I knew through a friend who was her chief high school rival, miraculously had won the Olympic trials a couple months earlier in the 1500 meters when she was really shooting for the 5000, an event she failed to make the team on. What ended up was a convoluted month for her as she chased a time at world-class track meets around Europe to ensure her place in Athens in the 1500, and I was kind of watching it through the corner of my eye. That night, as I searched the internet as a member of the US Olympic team supporting the athletes in Athens in advance of the Olympic Games, I saw she'd made it. And though I'd never met her, I cheered just a little bit inside. A few days later in the behemoth dining hall in the Athens Olympic Village, the only two Minnesotans in the entire 600-person Olympic delegation, Carrie Tallison and I, met. And we've been fast friends ever since. Carrie has a knack for having her pulse on what's going on around her. It might be with her kids, her husband, the track and field community. It doesn't matter. It's not a nosy kind of knowing what's going on either. She's just really interested in her sport, her people, and her personalities. And she's crafted herself a little cottage industry from it in the running world. Her podcast, See Tolly Run, was the first podcast I ever was truly aware of. You can check it out. It's an insider's portal to the ins and outs of American distance running, and you'd be hard-pressed not to find an episode with anyone you've ever heard of in American distance running. That alone is proof positive to how agreeable Carrie is as a person. Coming off a sub-three-hour run at the Twin Cities Marathon and heading into the final big weekend of marathon season with the New York City this weekend, where she'll be behind the TV hosting desk in Central Park, Threshold turns the mics around and asks Carrie Tollison the burning questions about running, being an Olympian, a spokesperson, and a loving wife and mother of three, and how she manages to do it all. Carrie Tollison, welcome to Threshold. Thanks for having me, Chad. I'm excited. Well, how does it feel to be on the other side of it? Like, we'll get into your podcast, but how does it feel to be on the other side? Is it weird, or do you have you done a lot of podcasts as a guest? Um, I've done a few, you know, but it's always a little bit like, wait a second, it's not about me anymore, <laughs> you know. And I think I it's more really... about you. I think it's more about you because you're the subject. Well, I mean, I I, I have the kids home today, so you know how that is. It's like. Yeah. It's, it isn't about me anymore. Like my running is so far down on the list that it's not even funny. I mean, it's still very important to me, but you know, it's the first thing to go. So it is fun to be on the other side. Well, let, let, I want I want to put the spotlight on you for once now. On a, the podcast spotlights on you, so this is great. Um, and we'll get into a lot of these topics as we go along here. But first, I want to start out with you as a kid, and I do this with pretty much every guest. I, I kind of go to the genesis of where they started in sports. Talk about sports for you growing up, and where and how running came into the picture. Yeah, you know, I started running. I guess I ran a couple races before I actually started to compete. I started competing in seventh grade. Um, but I ran like a race, the Ufta days or something like that, stinker days or something like that back in Dawson, Minnesota, rural Minnesota. And I actually started out in front of the pace car. I sprinted so fast that I went out in front of the, the one and only cop that we had in town and had to have a ride back from him on the way back. So the second half, I got to sit in the cop car. 
Oh, cool. <laughs> the first half, I was way out in front, but um, was that because you blew up? Is that why they got to get in the yes, car? Yes, <laughs> I was like five years old, but I was I was way faster than everyone in the first, you know, four hundred meters. Yeah, I was getting my screen time. There was no screen time out there, but a little uh, foreshadowing of the rest of your life, I think. Yes, yes, and ironically, I had a little shirt on that had the Olympic rings on it, which is kind of cute, but. Um, you know, I, I really didn't start competing until my seventh grade. So as a 12 year old, I was running pretty fast and, but didn't know what I was doing. You know, I was just trying to follow in my sister. Well, I have two older sisters, but my middle sister was still on the team. She was a senior. So I was just trying to follow in her footsteps, do cross country so I could be a better basketball player. Yeah. And yeah. like she was. And then, um, you know, I would have to say probably by ninth or 10th grade, I was like, oh, wait, I think I'm really good at this and I had won state championships and things but it didn't really click you know I was just doing it I was playing the sport right I was right. trying to get to the finish line first but I had no idea what I was doing so long story yeah. short it, it it was a really fun way to start and I'm very thankful that I took it pretty easy and didn't know what I was doing yeah well I I mean so, so here's where I want to get I wanted to get into the, with the kind of leading into that that notion you know, I, I know you among many, many international level athletes that I've met over the course of my lifetime. And I can say that you are more than just a great runner. You're, you're a great athlete. How do you feel like your athleticism played into your success as a runner? I know you played basketball, but you know, how did basketball help you be a better runner? I guess even before I was a seventh grader, we played every sport there was out in Dawson. You know, we played every musical instrument we could play. We sang in all the choirs, we acted in all the plays. Like you had to do that out there because there, there weren't yeah. enough people. You yeah. had to Small be, town life. You know, yeah. Exactly. So I really think that it was fun for me growing up out there because I golfed, I played tennis, I played softball, I played basketball. And um, I think that's why I am a good runner and a good athlete, obviously, because you, you do it all. You know how to be agile. You know how to be quick on your feet. Um, and it was fun. Every season was different for me, even when I was a senior. And Everyone knew I was one of the best runners in the country, and I had a full ride to go to Villanova, which was an amazing distance school. I was still playing basketball. My Villanova coaches got me on the basketball court in the summers because that made me a hungry athlete. Right. I wanted to have fun in the sport. I wanted to win when it was time, but then I wanted to put it away, and I wanted to go and be a different athlete. So 100%. I believe in being a well-rounded athlete, not just yeah. a one-sported athlete. And I, I say this because, so like you've let me into your life, you know, you know, I'm kind of a geeker, geeker coach and, and, and my way is definitely, I, I think we can both agree my way is not your way. Like the way I like yeah. to look at things is very, very different. We still really like each other and respect each other. And you've even let <laughs> me look at some of your, some of your physiology tests. And, and I can say like, you have good numbers. Don't, don't get me wrong. Like your numbers are high numbers. Like in the lab, you show the talent that is required to be a world-class athlete, but they're not like astronomical and I and I like as a coach I've looked at you and I've always felt like you know Carrie is more than anything she is a she has a, a combination of that but she's she takes herself to another level with a lot of competitive drive so tell me where do you think that competitive drive comes from well my dad was a college football player and he's very competitive but my yeah. mom never had the opportunity to play sports ever I'm you know she's the same age as your mom um and your mom is just as passionate as mine and I really <laughs> yeah. I really believe, even though my dad has, you know, a ton of athleticism, I think my mom would have too. And I actually think my mom has this, this frame of mind because she would, she owned her own business. Um, you know, she just was a go-getter. She never said no to anything. 
And I just feel like she is a woman that if she would have been an athlete, we would have seen right. a really good one. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And, so, and you see that in my mom. Like, you know my parents. Yes. And, and you like you you actually, I never pegged that. I remember you came over, you were at our parents' house, and you, you came and like, I see where you get your competitiveness. And I go, oh, really? Yeah. And you said, your mom. I'm like, you know, and then I had to think about it. I'm like, yeah, you're right. She is. She's totally competitive. Well, they never got to showcase it. I mean, look at your right. dad. He's a right. wonderful architect. And right, right. so many people know of him. Very competitive, like, clearly, with not only himself, but other yeah. architects. Right, but, right. I mean, our moms kind of had to take that back seat maybe sure. in sports and things. Not in our families. Our moms right. are very prevalent in our families. <laughs> totally, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, yeah, I just think... I'm I'm so thankful for the ability my dad gave me, but I also am clearly like my mom. She I say this all the time, but my mom will walk around during the final four or sweet 16 and she has everything going. If it's, if it's not a radio station, she's watching different you know channels. And, yeah. you know, that right there goes to show you. She just she loves it. She loves the sport. You know, this this COVID break has kind of given me some time to pause and think about how I show my competitiveness. And I realized like, uh, the, outwardly, what I show to my athletes that I coach probably stems from kind of how my dad interacts with people, but my inner competitive and drive probably really comes more from the the personality of my mom. And you know, I've known you for 16 years, so talking about this inner competitive th- thing is kind of kind of interesting because being competitive outwardly can sometimes be kind of an icky thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I see you being outwardly very competitively graceful with your competitiveness. So where do you think you get that kind of grace from? Well, I mean, I think a lot of that stems just from how you're raised. You know, we, in our family, you let results do the talking. And there were times, and you know me too, like there's times that I, you know, but I, I kind of let it out, but then I kind of like fluff it up a little bit. Right. Right. right, Like I used to have a t-shirt that I made that said, kiss it if you can catch it. <laughs> and that was my cocky, you know. Yeah, like, yeah totally, it, totally. It was still fun. It was still funny. Right. Like I would always, right. you know, make it light. But I do think how I grew up, you know, we were never allowed to say something bad about someone. Um, if we did, we better have a reason to back it up. And my dad's a lawyer, so innocent until proven guilty. <laughs> like yeah. got away all sides. Um, and I just think my mom was, you know, kill people with kindness. And I, it sounds like a bad saying sometimes, but I get that, you know, lift people up rather than tear them down. So, you know, outwardly, um, competitive is, is fine, but you know, I, I I think your legs do the talking and you know, that's okay. I had a lot of people back in the day, always try to say small town girl, she's not going to make it. She's not going to do it. You know, I had the Star Tribune, which is our big paper here in Minnesota, always ranking me below what most people would have thought I should have been ranked you know, number one or number two. So, you know, that's okay. I just let my legs do the talking. Yeah. Yeah. You had people very publicly predicting your demise long before you ever had to even face an international field. And I think that's a huge testament to who you are. Well, and actually one time, Chad, there was a a writer that I'm fairly good friends with from Minnesota. And I was coming back from big injury, uh, big surgery after 2004 and he just was nailing me, like just kind of kept on. And I, I did send him a note. I said, you know, you really know how to kick a girl when she's down. Yeah. And I, I kind of was like, why can't we, especially writers from Minnesota, lift people right. up? 
And that was the one time I let it really get to me and I didn't <laughs> like myself for it. But yeah. it was just like, I was coming off a of surgery, dude. Like, let me get back into the sport. So, so, so by all accounts, you, you are a legend in Minnesota high school running. You're a multiple time NCAA champion. You're multiple time Minnesota state champion. And you're an Olympian in 2004 where you and I met. How did the Olympic dream settle in for you? Like, you know, how, when did, when did you first start thinking about being Olympian? And when did you start first realizing that you could possibly be one or actually realistically be one? You know, I think after I went to college out of Villanova um, and I started winning there, which it took me till my junior year to win my first cross country championship. um, I was being coached by world-class athletes and Olympians. And um, I think once I won, I was like, oh, wait. Okay, so people that go on from Villanova that have won NCAAs, they're Olympians or, you know, silver medalists like Sonia O'Sullivan. Like uh, Marcus O'Sullivan, my coach, is a four-time Olympian and he had over 100 sub-four-minute miles. Like I just was surrounding myself with these people that at, for a long time I put way up on this pedestal thinking, oh my gosh, I'll never get like that, but I'll, you know, I'll try to do something like them. And they were in my ear saying, Carrie, you could be the next great, like you could set an American record or you could make an Olympic team. So I would have to say it took me kind of like my high school career, you know, three, four years into high, highly competitive racing and, and training where I was like, yeah, why not me? It should be something that's next. So, so, you know, your Olympic, your Olympic trial story, your, your Olympic dream story really doesn't get told a lot. The Olympic team you made and the way you made it. A lot of people don't know that story. You know, nowadays you're Olympian Carrie Tollefson and, and you, you know, once you get that title, it's just kind of there, it sticks there. And, the, and that story just kind of, especially over the time, as time passes, that story of, of how it happened kind of just fades into the background. You don't really go back and chew on that a lot uh, in front of a lot of people. So, so I want to kind of, kind of uncover that a little bit, but, but first of all, and, and before I even knew you, I was following those trials because you're Minnesotan and you were, you were friends with Kara Goucher, who was, was Kara Kara Wheeler at the time, and I actually was Kara Goucher at the time, but I knew Kara from high school. She was running in Duluth, and we got to know each other there, and I knew you from this great rivalry of Minnesota high school running, so I was kind of following your journey, and and you were, you know, people don't remember this necessarily because you're Olympian in the 1500, but you were really looking at the 5K for that Olympic trials, and, and that was, you know, where you were trying to qualify, and you didn't make it in the 5K. Then, then you turn around, and you won the 1500. Walk us through, like, those few days so from the disappointment of the 5K to preparing and getting yourself back up and mentally ready for an event that really wasn't your specialty to begin with. And, and, and I, think, I think you ran a PR in the 1500 at the trials to win that day, didn't you? I did run a PR that day, but I did run close to it in 116 degree weather on the track. It was ridiculous. Um, but yeah, the 5K was... It was where I thought it was at. You know, I'd just run 15.04 in a pretty tactical race at Stanford earlier in the season, and I was feeling good. Um, I did have an injury, so I was, I was kind of dealing with, I had done, I did the splits in January of 2004, and I tore both adductors. I tore the abs off my pubic bone. Um, I, and so I was sort of like on a downward slope with the injury, uh, meaning it was getting worse as I was going. So I was having some issues, but I was fit. I was really fit and I was still able to race. And that wasn't why I didn't make the team, but I'm, it's kind of a whole picture. Um, I missed the team. It was 10 and a half laps into the, the race and I kind of had a little mental lapse. 
I was in third, ready to make that team in the 5K, and a few women went, went by me, and that was it. So then I get into drug testing, and I come out, and I'm like, well, I have one more race. It's the 1500. It's not my best event, but I'll give it a go. And I basically led from start to finish and <laughs> made that Olympic team. My coach, Dennis Barker, was a little ticked, but also super excited that I made the team. I was not supposed to lead. You know, that was my fourth race and whatever, eight <laughs> days. And it was so unbelievably hot. The sprinters were burning their fingers on the track. It oh was so hot there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think what happened was I just had this mental shift. Like, if I don't do it now, what's going to happen in four years? And so when I made that Olympic team in the 1500, I was just so excited to see that I was a tough cookie. You know, like you come back from not only physical fatigue, but mental fatigue, you know, that was a really big obstacle to overcome. And I think that's the race where I really learned how tough I was as a person. And um, yeah, very thankful. I got to the Olympics and I had my Olympic games there, but super injured. Re- I had two stress fractures on my pubic bone by the time I had gotten there because there was so much. I had osteitis pubis. I have a lot of pubic stuff going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I love that word. <laughs> you know, as athletes, that's a major area that right. can get really injured. And I was severely injured there, but you know, had a good run. So c- can you take me back and, and tell me what was that morning like? Y- you knew this was your last chance. What was going through your mind? How, you know, how did, how did breakfast go down? So nerve-wracking. You know, I went with Amy Rudolph, who a lot of you, well, many of you should know her. She's a two-time Olympian, former American record holder, now coaches at Iowa State. Um, I remember we went to, what's that movie with Will Ferrell? The, um, he's, a, he's a TV journalist. Oh, the Anchorman. Anchorman, yes. Yeah. So I went with that, went with her to that like a night or two before the race and we just laughed and she was supposed to make the 5k team. We both missed it. Then we were coming back in the 1500 and (laughs) we, I remember thinking about the movie, the morning of, and just trying to like go through some of this stuff. And there was another point where all my family members were sitting at the pool and I was about, I don't know, I was like at like five or six. Um, floors up from the pool and I can remember waving to them from my hotel room because I couldn't sit at the pool you know I was trying to conserve energy and I can just remember this sad wave like here I am and I was so nervous Chad like probably more so than I've ever been because it was kind of my last shot and it was an event that like I said I was good at but I wasn't a favorite they didn't even mention my name on the line the start line (laughs) so I wasn't a clear favorite and, um, you know, the, again, another really powerful moment for me as a, a human, not just as an athlete, like right. I got through it. I controlled my nerves. I controlled my emotions. I got the job done. And I am so thankful because had I been second in that race, I wouldn't have been an Olympian because right. nobody yeah. got the standard. We chased it and chased it. We, you know, I was 0.3 away from it, but because right. I won, I got to go with the B standard. So yeah, I remember that because I was in Athens when you when you got the standard. I was already there. We were we were preparing for the teams to arrive for the Olympics, and I was like, Carrie got Carrie got the standard. She's coming to the Olympics. It's pretty cool." And I was really excited because I figured we'd definitely meet. Uh, you know, over the course of the games, we ended up being the only two Minnesotans that entire delegation. Yeah. Two Minnesotans. Yeah. I know it was so yeah, fun. Know. And you know yeah. what? To be honest, like I was missing home so bad, yeah. and it was just nice when you were there. You just took care of me, and you know we had fun, and you know it. 
it was a long ordeal. It, I remember yeah. getting to Athens and just being like, it was like, I don't even, it was like some huge like relief because I finally, and I didn't even really realize. I remember um, Rulon Gardner, remember him? Yeah, the, oh yeah, tell me. Yeah, so his sparring partner, because I guess the wrestlers bring over like training partners. And I arrived with his training partner. And I remember seeing Rulon and I was like, oh my gosh, he's an Olympian. And that the training partner like caught on. He was like, Carrie, so are you. And for the rest <laughs> of your life, when you look in the mirror, you're an Olympian. And it, I like forgot for a second, you know, I'd been traveling to all these races. It was just like another race. And he's like, no, we're here. You made it. That was pretty cool. So how has being Olympian made you who you are today? You know, I mean, it's always fun saying that. Like I, I start every podcast every week with, hi, I'm Olympian Carrie Tolfson. You know, <laughs> I can't help it. I say it. I shout it from yeah, the totally. rooftops and I'm okay with it. People don't like it. So what? Um, <laughs> Uh, but, you know, it has changed my life in so many ways. You know, I think I look at my career, for instance. I I started commentary before I was an Olympian, but it really has given me a lot more. Um, you know, I get street cred, if you want to say. Yeah. Um, it also has just opened the door for public speaking. And, you know, I think, too, when you look at the Olympics every four years and you realize you made it and other people realize that, okay, Carrie's just carry down the street, you know, like I'm as an open book. You got, you know me, yeah. I have fun with everyone. Um, but I think that is like, wait a second. Like that was a pretty big thing. It's a pretty big yeah. deal and not many people get there. So and it opens a lot it's of made doors. me a pretty tough, Yeah, it does. It opens a lot of doors and I know that it's given me this extra oomph in life that maybe I didn't know I had. Um, I'm just not afraid of anything. You know, I got to say, as we roll along here, I, I set up notes for myself to kind of like guide the, 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 the podcast. And I got to say, we're so, we're so connected and so well in tune with each other that you're basically making all my segues yeah. for me here. Oh, You give an answer and I go, oh, sweet. We're going to go right into the segue. So, so my next segue was, you're, you're a busy professional. You've basically created kind of a cottage industry brand for yourself. You do a lot of announcing. You're ESPN's go-to color commentator for NCAA track and field and cross country. You, you do a lot of big marathon events from PA and television. And, and you find a way in all that time to re regularly record a podcast. It's probably the most uh, robust podcast in all of American distance running with C. Tolly Run. Can you give us a little insight as to how you put it all together, how that all came together and, and how you kind of created yeah. that brand? Well, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I wear so many hats. Sometimes I'm like, what is going on in my brain? Um, I think I'm a go-getter. You know, mm -hmm. I think I always have been. I remember I finished second at the USA Cross Country Championships in 2002. And I said to Tony Revis, who is a phenomenal, like if you want to talk to a walking encyclopedia about running, Chad, you yeah. need to get him on this podcast because he is amazing. And I, I was being interviewed by him. I had just beaten Susie Favor, and I had just gotten beat by uh, Regina Jacobs. Lots mm -hmm. of history there with those two athletes. Right. Um, so kind of the story of the day was, who's this young chick beating these two old ladies that, you know, are killing it all the time? Yeah, and I was getting interviewed, and I said to Tony afterwards, I said, Tony, I love what you get to do. Like, I would love to interview athletes. I'd love to get into TV. I did a little bit at Villanova. Um and he remembered. So I started doing rock and roll commentary when it worked. You know, he never got in the way of my racing. He always understood that. And he just said, hey, come when you can. So 
Podcasting started after I started my YouTube channel. When I was having kids, they wanted to see follow the comeback, follow how I did my daily living, um, you know, as an athlete and mom. And then I went into podcasting. But you know, I have I have camps. I've done a lot of public speaking. I think what it comes down to is I have a hard time saying no. So when someone <laughs> has an idea or someone's like, "Hey, we think you'd be good at this," I'm like, "Okay." No time during the day at all, but I'll keep adding it to my list. And um, <laughs> it's been really fun. I mean, there's another adventure that I haven't quite um, signed the deal on yet. And I haven't um, publicly even talked about. But um, I might be taking a new shift in a still in the sport, but doing other things. And, cool. you know, the, you know commentary better than every, anyone. But you know that someone's knocking at the door all the time. For sure. And... For me, as a mother of three, and I've been doing it for a long time, I have always, and even as an athlete, Chad, I always had my my foot in another door because of injury or because of illness. And so now, because I've seen other people getting into this, which is great, I got to have my foot in another door. Yeah, so I'm thinking about what's next. If something, if one door shuts, there's always another one open. So I'm just kind of... I'm strategizing the next move. Well, you just set up my next segue, which is, uh, you know, you know, in our house, your family unit is known as the Tollefson Petersons. Tell me about being a mom to three great kids, uh, a wife to Charlie, your husband, <laughs> yeah. who, by the way, is one of the most chill, relaxed, and pleasant go-getters I've ever had the pleasure of knowing. But but how do you balance all of it with uh, outwardly looks like, well, I would say, again, like it's graceful. You, you do it with such grace. You always have a positive message and, and, a, and do it with all with a glowing smile. So what's your secret? Three-mile runs four times a week. <laughs> and I don't drink alcohol. Um, I do like to have Dr. Pepper. And it's now gone from like two a day to three. It's so bad, Ooh. Chad. But I don't drink coffee. Well, I like drink I got to get off this stuff. You, you know us. I know. You, you and I so much healthier crazy, than Dr. So. Pepper. But well, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if it is. I don't know if it is. I don't know if it's, if it's any, any better or worse. Um, but you know, yeah, we have, uh, when I ran into Charlie, he's an architect like your dad. He's always just, it was so fun. When I met you and I met the Samala family through you, I didn't really know much about architecture. Um, but obviously Charlie was like, Carrie, Chad's dad is this famous architect. And he was so <laughs> excited. Like, it's just been a really fun family thing for us yeah. because your family is a lot like mine and we have all these connections. But, you know, when I ran into Charlie and I saw the passion he had for his work, I was like, this guy is just like me, but in a different area. Right. And he is very different than I am. Like you said, he's yeah, calm, totally. he's quiet, he's chill. Uh, but he's ornery as I'll get out, which I am not ornery. <laughs> I might yell as loud as I can when I'm mad, but then I move on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it works really well. You know, he has the kids pretty much every weekend I'm gone. And then I have them pretty much every day, all day, even during a pandemic when he goes into work. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we're a good team and I, I couldn't have done it without a better partner. Really. I love him very much. And, and how do the two of you manage what the kids are interested in? Are they athletic kids? You know, because Charlie does triathlons. I know that he's active. Charlie's like an Ironman triathlete, jack of all trades, on top of being a full-time dad and a full-time architect. You know, what are you doing? You know, our kids are like the same age, between twelve and 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 is it eight? Greer is five. Greer's five. How are you steering them or, or guiding them as athletes or or just in in extracurricular activities? 
what are they into and, and how do you manage it? Yeah, so this is one thing that Charlie and I kind of butt heads on. You know, he is, he's a, what does he call him? A jack of all traits, master of none. Like he's a really good athlete, Chad. And you know this, like he can pick up a, he can go golf one time a year and hang with anybody. He can go on a hundred mile bike ride after not running or riding at all. And he gets through it. Like he's just a, he's got a, I think he has a ton, like a high pain threshold. Like he's <laughs> way up there. He should not be able to do some of the things he does, but he, I think, is coming from this background of, you know, his parents were there to support him all the time, but they didn't really push him into things. And um, my parents didn't push us, but they nudged and they kind of steered us. And, and you know, we if we started something, we never quit. If we started something and wanted a pair of expensive shoes, well, then we were going to practice extra hard. And um, he's nervous that we're not quite getting our kids into everything. And I'm like, let them be. So we're really good that way. Um, and so we're trying now, you know, the last two years were different. We couldn't get them in a lot of things, but Ruby is a, is an entertainer, much like you, like he loves music, (laughs) loves talking, loves being on stage, kind of like me too. Um, but also is finding her way now in sport a little later. And maybe Mm -hmm. that's the oldest child. I don't know. But consider how how old is Ruby? She's 12. She's 11. I mean, that's not later for you and me. We started, you know, 16 is late. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. So I love hearing that because it's it's kind of like a, an inner struggle. Like, am For I? Sure. Did I ruin her future by not getting her in hockey at five years old? <laughs> but Everett and Greer are in hockey at five and eight. Yeah. So you know they're also in basketball. They're also in doing mountain biking, and we're getting them in everything we can. The one thing I don't love is that we've really missed out on being in choir and playing instruments and things like that. And I do feel like I need to introduce that. Well, I think it's it's something all conscientious parents are struggling with. The, the, because I find that a lot of, a lot of highly successful uh, parent ex-athletes tend to be the ones who don't push as much mm-hmm. at a young age. They're scared to maybe. maybe. Because we weren't pushed in our generation or, or something mm-hmm. along those lines. But, but one of the things that I've always considered it as a chicken or the egg theory is when a fi- when you're putting a five-year-old's hockey gear on is it is it their idea or, or is it your idea mm-hmm. right she's doing what she loves to do at, starting at 11 i think she's going to be just fine at least that's I my know. take oh my gosh that girl i mean i worry about her sometimes she is such a politician she is like you know an activist i love it. i don't worry about her but man does she she's passionate about things and it's it's pretty fun to see this age you know I want to pivot here a little bit as we start to wind down the questions of the podcast. Um, I think one of the great things about you and perhaps someone who loves to run uh, that they can learn from you in your career and your family life. So I want to ask you, how did you pull off the training for the marathon? One of the things that came up in my mind is we just had Ben True on uh, on our podcast a few weeks ago in preparation for his debut at the New York City Marathon coming up this weekend. And I know you're going to be there, so we'll get into New York City Marathon a little bit. But you just finished Twin Cities in less less than a month ago. And you were like in third place for a while in the women's marathon uh, field. And and I know it came apart, but you still broke three hours with all, with all the stuff we just talked about in your life. So first of all, what do you do for training? How do you prioritize training in your busy schedule? And I should say, you never really, earlier in your career, really seemed to intend to run marathons. But how are you finding the training how are you finding the time to train and what are you doing to have success? And, and and what is your training approach? Okay, so this is everything against what you believe in, Chad. <laughs> no, no I, I believe in anything that works. 
Well, I shouldn't say everything you believe in, but if you had, you know, if you could get your hands on my training, you'd be like, oh, geez, Carrie, we got to slow it all down because I sprint every day. Okay. And I have at least two days off a week. So let me just say, this is what I do. I am a quality versus quantity right now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something about the run at times where, you know, I used to just go out and I could just be, oh, la, 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 like this is the best thing. I can just chill and go for a nice run. And, you know, now it's kind of where I ha- I love my run. It is my time away. It's It's, you know, my mental check. It's my physical check. But I will sprint for 20 minutes and come home three times a week. Um, and then I get a long run in and maybe like a six or seven miler in here or there. So you're running four to six days a week. Is that about right? Yeah. Yep. Probably. And how many of them are you sprinting? Pretty much every time. I mean, they're not sprinting. I shouldn't say sprinting. Right. It's probably my threshold. Yeah, like this podcast. You're running a threshold. It's probably right, my threshold right. pace. So I'm not running totally. easy and I'm not running super hard. So I never touched, um, you know, 5k pace, but I'll go up and run an 18 minute 5k. See, I'm, I'm not sure you have an accurate idea of of what I think because for your, your years of training, how long you've trained, your training history, it makes absolute sense. Specific adaptation to the event is absolutely critical in all training. And that's exactly what you're doing. So basically when you're going out there, you're not running a ton, meaning, meaning frequently, but when you do, you're doing pretty much what you have to do to adapt what you want to do in the event. Yeah. And it's working and you have this huge base of, of years of running to, to train to do it off of. So it totally makes sense. I, I get it that. It works, but this year I didn't do any fart licking, any threshold work. And the in two, 2019, I ran 251.52 or 56 or something like that. Um, the The secret was I was filming a little bit more. I was still filming this year, this year for Wellbeats, but I go out on a bike, they film me, and I was doing fart licks for these these workout videos. So, so multi zone, yeah. So multi zone, yeah. You're in multiple intensities, yeah. and that was like once yeah. every two weeks, right? It wasn't right. much, but this year I was just out there running like race pace, six thirty to six fifty pace every day, for sure. And I blew up a little bit this time, and it might have been the humidity, it might have been the fueling, but I think I just didn't go past the zone that I needed to. So you know, long story short, my training is. Not really training. It's get out there for the time I have. Usually halfway through, I'm like, what the heck am I doing? I got 8,000 things to do back home. I need to get home. Um, but it's... It, Let me ask you this. Do you run long run at pace mm-hmm. too? Everything is done. In between, I would say, like my average is probably 650. The only thing I would say is you might not blow up if you do one long run a week slower. I know. But my training partner, I don't have a ton of training partners right now. And my training partner, Ben Camp, that's his happy totally, spot. Totally. I get that. And, and it might just have to do with the practicality of who you have, have to run with. Yep. The only thing I'll say is that the slow twist muscle fiber has to clear the lactate. And if you're always training the glycolytic process where you're training the fastest muscle fiber to produce power, which is yeah. exactly kind of what you're doing at those quality workouts at longer durations, mm-hmm. you may be not stimulating your slow twist muscle fiber enough to, to help clearing the lactate process over the over a long race like the marathon. Mm-hmm. The reason I, I'm into and really preach the low intensity model stuff is I, I have primarily spent my career coaching developmental level runners right out of high, high school or, or into, into college. So I'm not working with developed elite runners runners most of my career so someone like you i don't i don't think you need a ton of slow running with your long training history exactly and honestly you probably don't need a ton of volume either you have a huge training uh history behind in your body and, and you've already got the aerobic aerobic efficiency that you need you just probably need a little bit to stimulate it to to go that long in the marathon yeah. 
Well, let me just say, I got a lot of slow going on because I have a lot of time off. <laughs> so that's where I'm getting your, maybe the scientific, um, you know, way of training I'm actually getting, but it's so far on the spectrum. It's either zero time on my feet for 48 hours, or it's like hammer for the next 72 hours. But you're hitting the other critical piece is what you're not doing. And that is you're recovering. Mm -hmm. You're recovering enough yep. and you're not getting into Totally recover. I love this because this is not a super tweaker discussion. I, I kind of like to get into some of the training stuff with everybody, but I kind of like to keep it about people's lives. But I love it when we can dive in, like we just did with a little bit of detail into how you do things so other people get get some ideas from these, from these podcasts. Yes. Because I think it's interesting. And I think that you found a really good balance with your training and, and your daily life. So, so kudos to you. Well, and I also like to wear my clothes in my closet. So like this has seemed to work for the way that my body is. I, I eat what I want. I think I found my niche for right now and it, it's fun to get out the door. It's, you know, like I said, a lot of times I'm hemming and hawing about being out the door. A lot of times I have this mom guilt too, like, oh, I should probably be back home doing laundry or something or you know, I don't really miss kids' activities because of my run. I don't think I'm there anymore. Like, my run is not that important anymore. But it is still. I was actually really surprised that I broke three hours. I was I was falling apart so bad. I was on 250 pace. I walked, like, a ton. Oh, but, you know, so many people love to see that. That's the other thing. I didn't do it for anyone else. I didn't blow up for anybody. But they like to see that I'm human and totally. it happens. That's so. great. You made a lot, of, mm -hmm. a lot of people happy. Exactly. Charlie thought it was great. He was just loving when I was cramping in the, the tent afterwards. He was like, yes, this is amazing. <laughs> and just so listeners know, Charlie has kind of sided with, always with my scientific mind and way of thinking. Totally. He, he's been like, Carrie, why don't, why don't you look at things the way Chad does? And even if I get into coaching, like I will probably call you up and say, hey, you know, what do these numbers mean? Um, but it, it really, for me, it wasn't about that so much. I know that I was doing things scientifically. I just didn't, I didn't think of it that way. Yeah. And when you describe what you're doing, I'm like, my, my mind goes into like what's going on inside your body kind of chemically. And I just, I just, my, I'm trying to figure out and see why you bonked. And we can talk about that offline so we don't bore people with a bonking discussion. <laughs> but a lot of what you're, you're saying to me explains exhibits why I think you had a good race and able to run for at least 20, 24, 20, 23 good miles at least and still get home under three hours. But let's save that for a personal conversation when we're on the patio of the backyard in Duluth when you're visiting us. That'd be nice. I miss those conversations. Nah, nah, you do not. I do too. I missed you guys when <laughs> oh, you were overseas, but I, I loved seeing it. So it's so, so cool. Now that Twin Cities is over and, and it was kind of painful, but you, you know, you have to chalk it up is kind of a running success for you from an ultimate results standpoint. Do you have a running goal ahead of you right now? Nope. <laughs> I don't, you know, I, I think that I love having that Twin Cities marathon on the calendar. You know, I used to work it all the time and now I'm like, I think I'm just going to start running it because so oftentimes or not, I work instead of doing things that I, I still want to do. Like, it's fun to hear my name yelled. I don't get that done ever. And so even if it's just my kids saying, go mommy, like they don't get to see me very often. So um, yeah, I don't have a running goal. I think I'd like to try to run a half marathon. But again, like every time I think about setting a goal, I get nervous and I'm like, no, nope, that's too much yeah. commitment. <laughs> It'll come back. It'll come back. Yeah, we'll see. 
So New York City is kind of like the bookend, at least the the northern tier of the United States bookend of the you know the marathon season, which is coming up this weekend. Which is kind of a timely reason to have you on this podcast to launch this as everybody gets excited and watches New York City. You're a longtime hostess commentator in Central Park. There, you're going to be there, right? I am. I'll be back in the booth. The they had Shalane the last time in the booth. And I went out on the lead vehicle, which was super fun. Yeah, I love that. But they had me back yeah. in the booth. So, so first of all, what does New York City uh, as a as a cultural event mean to you personally? I mean, you've been involved for so many years and so long. What does it mean to you going back to New York every year? Oh my goodness! I mean, I think that Boston is amazing as well. So it's hard to even compare those two. Chicago is equally as cool. But when you go to New York and you see the streets of New York shut down for the runners, you see that that day, the runners are the most important thing in this huge city. That's pretty amazing. It's like going over to Japan for the Ekaden relays. Like they shut down the streets of Japan. And, um, you know, we don't get that. And people complain, but but not really like. Right. Well, it's marathon weekend. Like that explains it. You know, New Yorkers are so salty as it is. But when you're there on marathon weekend, it's like, oh, it's marathon weekend. They, they, they kind of come to expect it and they kind of love it. You know, you're, you're walking down a closed street in Manhattan and, and you're like, whoa, this is, this is really cool. And, and nobody's bitching about it. It's great. Right. They love it. And I mean, it's awesome for the city. I mean, so many people come in for it. But yeah, I mean, the best of the best come. And you look at the history of the sport and they've all been at New York. And if they haven't, it's just because they didn't race in the States or, you know, there's a reason for it. But um. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. It's going to be an amazing race. It's the 50th running this year, so there's a lot of cool anniversary things. And, uh, you know, they're bringing, I think, what is it, four of the six medalists back. They're, it's awesome. I'm going to put you on spot for your prep. Who do you like in the field? Oh, my gosh, I can't wait to see Bacalli race. You know, Kenanisa Bacalli's in the race, second fastest marathoner of all time. He's going to be in the race. Um, is he fit? Is he is he fit right he now? He is. He's coming off of Berlin, and he is, you know, it sounds like he's pretty fit. Um the thing with Bekele is I don't know if he understands it, you know, I mean, he understands it. That's the wrong word. But, <laughs> you know, Berlin was not that long ago. And New York is a tough course. It's not a fast, flat course. It's up and downs, you know, five boroughs. I mean, I can go all into history, but you're going up and down every um, bridge in the city. It's it's crazy. And it's, but the good thing about Bekele is he is so good at, Um, running cross country that they say a lot of cross country runners much like ben true your guest um you know that they do what they do better at this so yeah i'm excited to see him how about the women well perez jep cheer cheer is in the race and she's the gold medalist so i mean we got to have our eyes on her but it's kind of been historic that people coming back from the olympic games in new york they haven't really done that great so not they they just haven't won. They've made it been second, third, whatever. So I do think Paris is amazing. And I uh, obviously my eyes are on her. But, you know, I'm going to watch Molly Seidel. She's kind of saying there's a there's some things that have been going on in this buildup. But I think she's just coming off of such a high that it's going to be interesting. And she, too, is a wonderful cross-country athlete. She's gritty as all get out. So if someone falters or if... You know, even if she's saying she doesn't, hasn't had the best prep, I think that we have to keep our eyes on her because everyone's going to be yelling her name. Every single person out there is going to know her. Yeah, she kind of won that bronze medal in relative anonymity. 
she's not anonymous anymore. She's going to be front and center in the spotlight in New York, New York City, which I think is should be really exciting for her. I just hope she can still really perform under the pressure and to the level that of other people are kind of expecting her to now. Yeah, and again, she's coming off of that high of the Olympics. It's really, it's it's an interesting, you know, mental game when you're coming from the Olympics and then having to get up again this quick. You know, what were they, eight weeks ago? So it's not that long. Well, Carrie, it's been great having you on. and I just love the insight. And, and when I started the podcast... First of all, this is episode 15 for Threshold. And what does Sea Taller Run had? Like 1,500 episodes? I don't even know. I am yeah. so bad with looking at numbers. Like, <laughs> I, it's, it is such a labor of love, Sea Taller Run. Like, I, you know, people always ask me, okay, what's your viewership or what's your listenership and all that stuff? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just putting one out every week. <laughs> well, we're clearly not re- raising it to the level of every week. But, you know, Chris and I, a producer, my producer, we have our hands in other stuff and we love doing it. And, and you know, I never really knew what a podcast was until you started doing it. So you're kind of like my introduction to to the medium. And you had me on it, what, five, six years ago. So you're you're kind of like my podcast guru. Yay. I, I've always felt like, you know, I really well, had to have you Well, how come we're on. not going for a run? You and I went for a run one time. Oh, I'm not running anymore. I got a I bunion and a bad back. <laughs> well, we can go mountain biking. We'll oh, go mountain biking you would be anytime. like, Carrie, I can't hear you. You start so far back. Like, oh, my quads. They just well, Charlie and I are going to bike. We actually have a date. He, we, we talked on a text before the show, and we, we have a date set up. To, we're going to we, oh, cool. We're gonna go mountain biking next time you guys are in Duluth. So, so come up soon. Good. Get him out there because I get sick. Well, get him a new bike. That'll do it. <laughs> oh, buy all the bikes. <laughs> okay, great, great, great to have you on. Good, and, and have fun in New York. I love that atmosphere. And, and I'm a little bit jealous, to be honest with you. Oh, well, thanks for everything, Chad. Few people I've met can tell you exactly how they feel pretty much all the time and still rarely, if ever, offend. It's even harder when you're essentially a public person. Despite clearly being one of the toughest competitors I've ever met, I think that is Carrie Tollison's superpower. And I think underneath it all, it's where her appeal lies, really. There's a genuineness about Carrie that even after knowing her for 16 years, still feels very fresh to me, and I think that appeals to her fans as well. But her practical, ah shucks, Minnesota groundedness, and model good looks probably haven't hurt her appeal either. What I love most about Carrie is in a world where altered Instagram photos are more and more the norm, she has chosen to capitalize most on using her bright and positive personality to make that what sets her apart. When today's social media hounds might choose an easier, perhaps more superficial path with what she was given to work with. For example, in a sport that consistently continues to and must tackle disordered eating and body image issues, Carrie is the first to let you know she likes burgers and Dr. Pepper. It's not that she's touting unhealthy food as much as she's making it okay to be human. It's a subtlety to who she is as a person that I think means the world to others. Carrie has gifts, that's apparent. And she has used them, but most importantly, she has used them wisely. In an ever more cynical public setting, that is worth celebrating. Thanks to Carrie Tolson for sharing herself with us and for being a great role model for young, aspiring girls and women and men who want to get after it. That's Threshold for this episode. I'm Chad Somala. Thanks for listening.